Let's stand and read the Word of God together. Turn your Bibles today. This is our New Year Scripture reading. New Year Sunday, first Sunday of the New Year. Turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 28. If you don't have a Bible, there's a pew Bible in front of you there, a black Bible that you can open to page 1178. This is a great passage of Scripture that can be a New Year's prayer for this coming year. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 28. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren... Warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursues what is good both for yourselves and for all. And these next three verses are where our message is going to concentrate. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now, may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, whole soul, and whole body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do come again. And on this first Sunday of the new year, Though we don't know what to expect and what may happen and may be bringing with us burdens and baggage and hurts and pains from the last year, we come and humbly present ourselves before you and ask that you would speak to us through your word, through your spirit, through the preaching of your word. And we pray, Lord, and right now we pause to submit ourselves to what we are about to hear. And Lord, right now in our hearts, we commit to you to obey whatever you say through your word to us today. We pray these things in the name of our risen, reigning, returning King, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right. Can you identify with this New Year's Day prayer? Dear Lord, so far this year I've done well. I haven't gossiped, I haven't lost my temper, I haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or overindulgent. I'm very thankful for that. But in a few minutes, Lord, I'm going to get out of bed. And from then on, I'm probably going to need a lot more help. Amen. All right, can you identify with that? Yeah, I I can. If If you're like me, I need all the help that I can get. But here's the tension as we look at a new year. Here's the tension. How do we get help for what we don't know is going to happen? How do we seek help for that which we don't know is going to happen? Now, who would have thought a year ago this week that in 2012, so so take yourself back one year, this very week, one year ago, who would have thought that those people who booked a cruise on Costa Concordia had no idea their vacation's plans would take a tragic turn as the ship recklessly ran ashore. A year ago, the people living along the East Coast had no idea that Hurricane Sandy would wreak havoc in their lives. And certainly a year ago, the parents of those little kids that attended Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newtown, Connecticut, had no way of knowing that their lives would be forever changed at the end of last year. 
You see, we have no way of knowing what may happen this new year. What will 2013 bring into our lives? I, 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 I just, the longer I live, I just can't get over the reality that a single phone call can change our lives forever. In a single instant, a loved one could die this year, or we could be forever crippled or diagnosed with cancer. I'm telling you, last year I never would have dreamed that we would nearly lose our brother in Christ, Randy Weiner. And yet that happened. We simply don't know what this coming year is going to bring regarding our job, our health, our loved ones, our hope for the future, or what may threaten our faith in God. But I've got good news for you, and I'm glad you came this morning to hear it. Good news for the new year, and here it is. No matter what happens, no matter what happens this year, God has revealed His perfect will in our, for our lives in the Bible. Amen? That's good news. That's good news. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know what God's will is for me, and it's revealed for me in this book. In fact, it's revealed particularly in verses 16 through 18 in the passage that we just read. So look in your Bibles, verses 16 through 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Why? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Wow. Wow. Do you realize? Let me give you a little background before we dive into it. And the background is this. This, book, this letter is one of Paul's first letters written to one of his earliest churches he ever planted in the city of Thessalonica, Greece, on his second missionary journey. The Thessalonian believers were brand-new Christians. Some of you here are brand-new Christians. And they were seeking to follow Christ in a very pagan environment under very intense hostility and persecution. And no matter how old you are in the Lord, that is our future. There's one thing we can say for Christ followers in the year to come and the years to come, that there will be greater persecution, there will be greater hostility, and there will be a more secular, anti-type God environment. And just like us, the Thessalonians didn't know what the future would bring. They, they knew the Lord was going to return. There's a lot in here about the return of the Lord. And like us, they know the Lord would return, but like us, they're kind of wondering what's stopping Him from coming. Okay, I know the Lord's going to come, but, but you know, Lord, you can come. You can come now. And so they they were confused about how to live in the light of the coming of the Lord and in an uncertain future in a hostile environment. Can you relate to that? I can. So God led Paul to write them this letter to encourage them to live for the Lord no matter what. Whether he comes this afternoon or he comes ten years from now, live for the Lord no matter what. No matter what happens, live for the Lord. And that's especially true of verses 12 through 28 that we just read. In verses 12 through 28, it's a section on kind of basic Christian living for any Christian, in any church, in any context. That's why I wanted to read that whole passage to you. It's repeated in several places of the Bible. It was probably meant to be memorized. You want a passage of Scripture to meditate and memorize, then you look at verses 12 through 22 of Thessalonians. Thessalonians, and it'll apply to whatever happens this year. It's also a passage that not only had individual application, but application in our church, in the worship context of corporate worship. When we come together, we ought to pray always, rejoice always, and in all things, we should give thanks. But I want to focus on these verses that talk about our relationship with God. These three verses. Writing over a hundred years ago, Professor James Denny of Scotland called these three commands the standing orders of the gospel. The standing orders of the gospel. The reason is they're, they're always there. They're to be obeyed no matter what, no matter when, no matter where you are. The Greek makes this very clear because these commands are all in the present tense. They go like this, continually, constantly, repeatedly rejoice, continually, constantly, repeatedly pray, continually, constantly, 
repeatedly give thanks. And that's where the challenge is, isn't it? You know, if, this was, if, this, if, we, if these verses read like this, rejoice sometimes, pray occasionally, give thanks when you feel like it, man, we'd have that made, right? I can do that in my sleep, but that's not what it says. In fact, God made sure that Paul put these adverbs, these modifiers in front of the verbs so that they would be emphasized. In other words, at all times rejoice, anytime. In all places pray, anywhere. In every situation give thanks, in anything. And there's a double emphasis here because every command is in this present tense. So it says, don't just do this, you know, don't aim, okay, tomorrow I'm going to aim to do these three things. And then there I can say I got them done. No, it's in the, continue, keep on, do this no matter what, not only for the rest of the year, but for the rest of our lives. And you say, why is that? Why would God go to this effort to emphasize this idea of continual joy, continual prayer, continual thanksgiving? Why does he want to drive that home to our hearts this morning? It's because the real impact of the gospel is only felt when we don't feel joyful, when we don't want to pray, when we don't see a reason to be thankful. That's when we discover if our Christianity is the real deal or we are a spiritual counterfeit. You see, anyone who's far away from God can be thankful in, or happy in happy times, can be thankful when everything's going right, and can pray in a crisis. But what about no matter what happens in our lives? Well, then we discover when Christ enters our lives, He changes it from the inside out so that we have both the power and the desire to rejoice, to pray, and to give thanks even in the worst moments of our lives. That's the benefit of knowing Christ. Do you have that kind of power and desire? This year? Last year? Today? Do you have the kind of power and desire that will be joyful when there's nothing to be joyful about? Will be thankful when there's nothing to be thankful about? Will pray when there's no reason even, it seems, to pray? Well, I've got good news for you this morning, and it's this. Jesus Christ will give you that kind of power, that kind of desire, as a free gift when he gives you himself as your Lord and Savior. You see, the real impact of the gospel is seen when we don't feel joyful, when we don't want to pray, when we don't see any reason to be thankful, and we obey these commands anyway. Not because we have to, but because God gives us the ability to do so from the inside out. Well, let's look at each of these short, powerful commands. And here's my goal. I want us to learn, by God's grace, to do each of these commands, no matter what happens in the coming year. Are you ready to make that commitment? I hope you will be by the time we understand these commands better. Here's the first one. No matter what, no matter what, by God's grace, let's learn to, number one, always rejoice. Always rejoice. Now, stay with me. Some of you say, you have got to be kidding you, you, you don't know what last year was like, and you don't know what I'm facing this year. And that's exactly no matter what. I don't know. I don't know. And to be honest, you may think you know, and you, you don't know. But no matter what, here's the command, always rejoice. It's translated a variety of ways. Be cheerful no matter what. Always rejoice. Always be joyful. Rejoice evermore. King James nailed it on that. The phrase... Is literally reads this way, at all times be rejoicing. Did you realize this is the shortest verse in the Bible? A lot of people think the shortest verse in the Bible is John 11, Jesus wept. But in the Greek, that's three words. This is the shortest verse. It's only two words, and it says always rejoice. Now, I thought about that, and I asked myself this question. How can something so short be so hard, Right? Well, according to the Apostle Paul, it may be hard, but it's not impossible. Continual joy is one of the marks of the true believer. In fact, I believe it's one of the major, if not one of the most important. Love, joy, peace. Second only to love. 
Here's what Philippians 4.4 says, in case you think, well, maybe uh, Paul just had an idealistic day that day, and he didn't really mean for us to do that. Well, God made sure he wrote it several times. Listen to Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, will I, I will say rejoice. He knows people aren't going to get this the first time. When the angel told the shepherds about the birth of Jesus, he called it good news, and you can help me with this, of great joy that will be for all the people. Whenever the gospel is preached, it's a joyful noise, it's a joyful sound to those who hear it and receive it. You see, when you answer that call of the gospel to give God your sins and receive from Christ His righteousness, He fills our hearts with the Holy Spirit who then flows out of our hearts with love and joy and peace. Such joy comes from the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us. Romans 14, 17 says this, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, let me ask you, could this be one of the reasons that the unchurch are increasingly uninterested in what Christians have to say? Now, what do I mean by that? I mean simply this. Having lost our joy of the gospel and getting so out of step with the Holy Spirit, we now show so little joy in the way we live our lives that no one would be interested in what we have to say about Jesus. You know, some, some Christians just feel it's their gift to be gloomy and doomy. You know, that's just my gift, to be grumpy, you know, sourpuss, dill-pickle Christians that think that to be holy, you can't be happy. And it makes me think of that famous, and it is famous, young people, 1984 Wendy's commercial that made Clara Peller a TV icon. You know what I'm talking about? 1984, <laughs> do what? There you go, John. I knew you'd nail it. It's an ad about buying a hamburger with a very big, fluffy bun. It's shot from above. I mean, I'd show it to you, but it's so grainy, and it's just, it's ancient. It's ancient. You can't see it. Three little grandmothers are there with their white hair, and there is the most humongous sesame seed bun. And they go, that's a big bun. And the other says, that's a very big bun. And then one of them says, it's a very big, fluffy bun. And then one of them makes them, you know, does the natural thing. They pick it up to see what's in it. And there is the littlest, itsy-bitsy patty with two shriveled pickles on it. And Clara, the grandmother, yells out, where's the beef? And they look at it some more, and she says again, where's the beef? And then she says, is anybody back there? And that has been become uh, uh, just a catchphrase. But let's transfer that. Could that be what unsaved people are saying to us as they look at Christians and they look at what we're against and they look how angry we get and when they look out how uh, gloom and doom we, we talk about the future and we talk about life. And instead of saying, where's the beef? Maybe they're saying to us, where's the joy? Well, I see a church, I see your life, I, everything's nice, and, and you have a nice you know, job here, and you work hard here, but, but where's the joy? Where's that note of joy? And I have to ask, where is it in my preaching? Where is it in my teaching? Where is it in our daily work life? Where's the joy in my parenting of my children, my child? Where's the joy in my interaction with my spouse? Where's, where's the joy in the ministry and serving that I do for the Lord? Where's my joy? Yes, even in the midst of sorrow and suffering. You see, the unchurched world is asking us, like Clara, to step up and show us why they should be interested in our Jesus. Because he can bring us joy in spite of anything. One pastor said, I've seen enough joyless Christians that I often prefer the company of friendly unbelievers. All right, we can relate to that. But you might be thinking right now, but Chris, that's impossible. No one can be expected to live like that in the midst of sickness, suffering, loss, or death. I mean, we're falling off of a fiscal cliff, and you're saying rejoice evermore? Well, I would agree with you. 
This is impossible apart from Christ. We have to understand that. But in Christ, with Christ, all things are possible, especially when God gives us a command so clear as this one. We can always rejoice no matter what. In fact, the Thessalonians would rise up now. They are in heaven rejoicing, and they would look down upon us and say to us, look, we received the word of God in much affliction with joy. That's what it says in 1 Thessalonians 1.6. Much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians 2.14 Paul says, for you have suffered the same things from your countrymen as they did from the Jews. He says again in 1 Thessalonians 3, so every chapter, 1, 2, 3, he's talking about their suffering. And he goes so far as to say this, we are destined for suffering. In another place, Paul says, all who are godly will suffer persecution. So just because times are bad doesn't eliminate the need to obey this command. Now, such constant rejoicing was just not a part of the Thessalonians. It was a part of the Colossians. Listen to this. He, he writes in Colossians 1.11, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. And then he says of himself in Colossians 1.24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And it wasn't just the Thessalonians, the Colossians, but the Philippians. He says in Philippians 3.1, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. It's a good thing for us to hear this message this morning. Philippians 4.4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Paul not only preached this, he practiced it. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians 6.10, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. It's a paradox. It's the Christian life. We're dying, yet living. We still sin, and yet we're sinless in Christ. We're forgiven in Christ. We're righteous in Christ. Sorrow, yes. Sickness, yes. That may come, but rejoicing always. It's possible. It's possible. But here's what we want to ask. I learned long ago to ask this in my teaching, my preaching, in listening to a sermon. Yes, but how? Yes, but how? Let's say that together. Yes, but how? Okay? It's like, yes, I see that. I hear that. But how do I do it? That's what I want to help you with in this sermon. These, these three commands are so simple. They're so clear and yet they're so impossible. So how do I do it? Let me give you a little help with this one. Jesus said in John 15, 11, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. My joy may be in you. Jesus' joy. Do you have Jesus' joy this morning? Or is it your own joy that you have to work up and depends on the circumstances and the responses of other people. You see, Jesus' joy is his joy, and he puts us in us, and it comes out of us no matter what our circumstances are. That's good news. It works from the inside out. It doesn't depend on a paycheck. It doesn't depend on a job. It doesn't depend on how my friends treat me. It certainly doesn't depend on my health or the state of my marriage or how my children are doing. Even less does it depend on who is in the White House or how the, my favorite team is doing, although I am rejoicing for the future, for the Chiefs, or how my children are doing or how the stock market is doing. The constant flow of Jesus' joy is the result of abiding in Christ through his word and prayer as we stay connected to him. Back at the table, last week we talked about there's all sorts of of reading, uh, Bible reading plans, devotional Bibles, simple Bibles for you to pick up. We're selling them at cost, not to make a profit, but to profit you. And to help you abide in His Word. Because as you abide in His Word, His joy, your joy will be complete, and His joy will flow out of you in spite of your circumstances. That's how it, that's how it is. Here's how joy is spelled in the Bible. Jesus, others, you. Did you know that? You thought it was J-O-Y. 
but it's Jesus, others, you. You can do the most profound theological study of joy in the Bible, and when you summarize the results, it's going to be that. Jesus first, serve others, and leave yourself as a far distant third. That's the secret to joy. Put Jesus, and Pastor Tyrone preached to us last week, seeking after him. That's how you find joy in spite of circumstances. Now, I have some verses in your Bible. And every time Paul talks about this joy, the the source of the joy is never us. And it's never our circumstances. Look at these verses. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy. Where? In who? The Holy Spirit. Notice, you receive the word in much affliction with the joy of who? The Holy Spirit. May you be strengthened with all power according to Jesus' glorious might for endurance and patience and joy. Finally, my brothers, rejoice how? In the Lord. Again, I say, rejoice how? In the Lord. You see, the direction is away from self. It's away from our circumstances. It's focused on Him, what He's done for us, what He's doing for us, what He has yet to do for us, what He has promised to do for us, and we can't help but be joyful. One Bible student made this observation. The Christian who remains in sadness and depression really breaks a commandment. In some direction or other, he mistrusts God, His power, His providence, His forgiveness, His power to give us true and lasting joy. Now, I'm not talking about, uh, you know, name it and claim it happiness, where you just put on a happy face. No, Paul said, sorrowing, yet always rejoicing. See, I can have a sad face, and I can have a, 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 a just a, a sadness, a brokenness, a hurting a pain. Some of you are bearing that right now. And yet, though I have those things, I can always be rejoicing. Here's what it says in the Bible. The joy of the Lord is our strength. I, 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 let me just encourage you. There's nothing that has happened to you who it, or could happen to you that is worth letting it rob your joy in the Lord. And by the way, no one can take your joy from you. Only you can give it away. Yeah, but, 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 no, no, no buts. Because whatever you're going through, it's real, it's painful to you, but there's others going through far deeper valleys and they are still rejoicing. The joy of the Lord is our strength. So, abide in His Word. Get a reading plan. Get a devotional Bible. Get into God's Word. Let God's Word fill you and fill your joy cup so that Jesus' joy flows over no matter what. But, you will never rejoice always without the, unless you obey the second command. And what's the second command? Constantly pray. Constantly pray. You see, I can't do this except in the Lord. And so if I'm going to be in the Lord and walking in the Spirit, what I've got to do is be in communication with Jesus all the time, with God the Father, in the name of the Son, in the power of the Spirit. I need to be constantly praying. Look at how it's translated. Constantly pray. Pray at all times. Never stop praying. Pray continually. See, this is an amazing message. It's like, it's the most encouraging, discouraging message on the planet. Man, you came here to tell me I have to always rejoice, I have to constantly pray, and we should say, I can't do that, but I can in Him. Or God wouldn't give us the command. I have to agree with John MacArthur, who says this, Joyful believers will always be prayerful believers. Those who live their Christian lives in joyful dependency on God will continually recognize their own insufficiency and therefore constantly be in an attitude a prayer. Lord, if I'm going to have constant joy, I've got to be in constant communication with you. The word for prayer here is the most broadest word in the Bible. It covers all kinds of prayer, submissive, submission, confession, petition, asking, interceding, praising, thanksgiving. That right there is one of the secrets to applying this command is we get, you know, we think prear, oh, you know, Dear Lord, thank you for this food. Amen. 
Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Amen. We've got it in a box. Well, if we're going to pray at all times, in all situations, in the valleys and up on the mountaintops, then we've got to expand our prayer to include confession when we sin, to include submission when we hear the word preached or read, to include thanksgiving, to include lament. See, one of the aspects of prayer that we don't understand as Americans is lament, which means life stinks, God, and I want to tell you about it. Read the Psalms. David did that a lot. But he didn't stay there. He would direct his thoughts to God. He would come out of the sorrow with what? Joy. Because he constantly prayed, even in the valleys. So once again, if you're like me, you're going to recoil from this command and think, this is impossible. No one can be expected to pray all the time. We do have to work, you know. You know, we're not like you pastors that just get to sit around, read the Bible, and pray all day. We actually do something for a living. We've got to work. I can't pray all the time. Well, nevertheless, the Bible says we are to pray constantly no matter what. Let me give you some verses just to back up what we're seeing. Ephesians 6.18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication making supplication for all the saints. 1 Thessalonians, the book we're in, 1-2, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. 1 Thessalonians 2-13, we also thank God constantly for this. Romans 1-9, Paul says, that without ceasing I mention you. And in Romans 12-12, he gives this command, now listen to this, rejoice in hope, Be patient in tribulation. So there's that idea. I can joy in spite of my circumstances. Be constant in prayer. And then our Savior himself in Luke 18.1 gave this command or taught a parable to this effect. They ought always to pray and not lose heart. So we're going to ask the question, say it with me, yes, but how? Okay, I'm going to give you some help because with this one, We need to understand what it doesn't mean so that we can understand what it does mean and put it into application. So here's the first thing I want you to see. This is, it does not mean this. It does not mean nonstop praying. And you can all go, okay? Now, the only problem is that means that we do need to obey this command. So it doesn't mean nonstop praying. We would never get anything else done. If Jesus spent all his time in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, he would never have gotten up and died on the cross. Amen? There was a time where it was, it was time to stop praying and start doing. The second thing it doesn't mean is this. It doesn't mean to always be in a certain posture or place of prayer. Okay? Sometimes we get the idea that I, I have to... If, if we're going to pray at all times... And in all places, in all situations, like when we're driving, and you think you have to close your eyes to pray, you won't be praying very long. You'll be with Jesus face to face. Lord, I was just talking to you. I don't know what happened. You know, when we used to go on vacations, I used to tell him, Amber, we need to pray. Dad's going to shut his eyes now. And, oh, no, 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 Dad, don't do that. You know, you pray. It's, it's okay to pray with your eyes open. I had a friend in seminary who who said grace while looking at his food. Freaked me out. You can do that? Well, yeah, this is what we're giving thanks for. Look at it. Okay, so it's not a, and then it's not just a, you know, the sad thing is, and I I have been as guilty of this as the next person. We have a tendency to only pray in certain places. Church, at the meal, Sometimes not much else. We think we have to be in a certain place, in a certain posture, in a certain position. But if you're going to pray at all times, if you're going to pray constantly in all places, then it doesn't mean this. If, if, so what does it mean? Let me say this. What does it mean? Well, it means not uninterrupted prayer, but constant reoccurring prayer. Here's what it means. And before I do that, let me give you a, a, couple, of, a couple of illustrations before we get into the practical side of it. Um, it's true that Jesus stopped praying in the garden 
whether he stood with his hands up, knelt with his head bowed, you know, we don't know these things. But he did stop praying to go die on the cross. But here's what's interesting. When he went to the cross, he didn't stop praying. We have at least three prayers of Jesus recorded from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they do not know not what they do. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then a little later, Father, into your hands I commit your spirit. That is constant praying. He wasn't in a posture. He wasn't in a place. And by the way, he wasn't in a happy place, was he? And yet, every breath was torture. Every effort was excruciating pain. And yet, he obeyed this command. And he uttered prayers. And he didn't stop praying. And the last breath he had, he expended it in prayer to his father. Now, this Greek word that means constant or continual is also used for a hacking cough, and I think that gives us a clue of how to do this. If you have a hacking cough, do you pray? Do you cough nonstop? <laughs> I don't even know how to do it. <laughs> no, that, 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 a hacking cough means this, <laughs> and then you kind of do something else, <laughs> and then you do something else, <laughs> and it, it just repeats. It reoccurs, it's constant, but it's, it's interrupted. Do you get the idea? That's what our prayer should be like. Not one continual prayer, in a sense, but a repeated, persistent prayer that keeps coming back, that never stops. No matter what happens this year, let's keep going back to God in prayer. Now, what does this mean? Let me give you, and how do I do it? Let me give you two ways. The first way is this. An active prayer life, no matter what happens. An active prayer life, no matter what happens. This means praying often and in a deliberate fashion. Not just in time, you know, uh, is it easy to pray in a crisis? Foxhole prayers? Oh, God, help me. Always easy to do that. But what about times of blessing? Sometimes we forget to stop and say, oh, thank you, God. Not just when we want something from God, but also when God withholds what we want, we should still pray to Him. Not just in times of thankfulness, but also times of frustration, times of fear, and yes, even times of failure. That's what it means. It means to have an intentional prayer time. Both uh, Jesus repeatedly modeled for us. He would rise early. He would get alone with God. He would get alone in lonely places during the day. In the middle of the night, he would be praying. So have an intentional time where you get into God's word and you begin to pray God's word back to him on a consistent basis. Have an active prayer life and don't forsake that just because times get tough. That's the first thing. The second thing is this, an active prayer life combined with an attitude of prayer no matter where you are. An attitude of prayer no matter where you are. Okay, so I have my time alone with God. I pray to Him, but then throughout the day, I have this attitude of prayer. Our default condition should always be, Oh, God. Now, not like like we're tempted, Oh, God. But, I mean, Oh, God. Not as a curse or a profanity, but as a prayer that says, wow, oh God, thank you for that. Oh God, that's great. Oh, oh, just constantly going to him. Now, you say, give me an illustration. Well, you ever seen these people walk around with uh, phones in their ear? You know, they stick out, makes Lieutenant Uhura, you know, communications officer, Star Trek Enterprise, thing in her ear. You ever seen people walking around with that? Now, why do people do that? Oh, there's a lot of reasons, but let's, let's focus on the reasons, why do they do this? Because they want to hear from those who are important to them at all times, in all places, and under all circumstances. They want to be able to talk to whoever they want to whenever they need to. Therefore, they take it with them wherever they go, wherever they are. They can receive the call. They can make the call. It's with them wherever they are. Beloved, We've got a prayer communication technology that enables us to do that same thing with God. And if he's as important to us as we say he is, as he ought to be, then we may not have to have a phone in our ear, but we can have a prayer in our heart that communicates with him no matter where we are, what we're going through, and what are the circumstances. 
Continually pray no matter what. Stay in a state where you can pray at all time, everywhere, about everything. There's nothing we face, no duty too small that cannot be transformed by prayer. So here's what it means. Have an attitude of prayer where you consciously, deliberately, repeatedly, persistently pray at all times. Now, let me stop here because prayer is difficult. And I'm a prayer learner. And I'm sure many of you are a prayer learner. So we need a little extra help in this. Does praying continually, no matter what, still sound impossible to you? Then let me ask you a very personal question. How many of you carry a cell phone with you everywhere you go? Look around. Almost all of us. That's the day we live in. That's the technology we have. Nothing wrong with that. I do it. You do it. We carry it everywhere. But let me ask you a question. Why do you do it? To stay in contact with those who are most dear and important to you. And to avoid those that aren't <laughs> by not answering their calls. Okay. But let me ask you a question. How many of you have a smartphone with a data plan that's connected to Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, whatever? How many, how many of you have that? How many have that? Okay. Not nearly as many, but more, and it's only going to increase, and everybody under 20, that's their desire in life. Okay? Now, why do you do that? Why do I have that? Why do you have that? I would have brought it with me, but my greatest fear is preaching and my phone going off or something. But here's the deal. Why do we do that? So that we can constantly communicate with others that we deem important. Now listen, God's command to pray continually, no matter what, is not impossible. It's as practical as carrying a cell phone connected to Facebook or Twitter. It's that practical and it's that, it's that doable. It's, 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 how many of you that have those phones, how many of you find yourself checking your cell phone every 10 minutes? Or checking into Facebook or sending a tweet about anything and everything that's going on in your life. Now, I know you do because we all, I've never known more of what people eat than when I signed up for Facebook. I mean, I see everybody's food and it all looks good, okay? Why? We're just giving status updates. We, we, I want you to know what's going on. I want to stay in contact. I want to hear. Now, here's what I want you to think. God's command to pray continually, no matter what, is not a burden, it's a blessing. Think of it like this. Your heavenly Father loves you so much that He bought you a divine smartphone with the blood of His only Son. And He also paid for unlimited talk and unlimited text. It's right here. And it's an unlimited data plan right there. Here's all the data you need. And it's yours at any time, in any place. He also paid for this. Now, what should you do with it? Now, I can tell you what my daughter did with it. She took it and she uses it. I didn't have to explain anything to her. I didn't have to encourage her to do it. Why? She wanted that. Not a smartphone, but a phone to stay in contact. Hey, if God's given this to us, what should we be doing with it? We should be using it. And we should be using it as much or more than the fallen technology that we use. Not, this is not a message against technology. Get me. I'm not saying don't use that. I'm just saying, why would we want to use, find out what people are eating and where they're at <laughs> and not uplink to God and do status updates and do tweets and prayer to saying, Lord, here's where I am. Where are you? And you know what? We, now, now, if... Someone gave you a smartphone with unlimited data, unlimited text, unlimited data, uh, talking. What would you say to them? What would you, well, what's the, no, no. What would you say if they gave it to you? What should you say? Thank you, command number three. Thank you. Thank you, God, for joy, for prayer. This is the third command. It's God's will for the new year no matter what. In all things, give thanks. Notice how it's translated. In everything, give thanks. Be thankful in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. Thank God no matter what happens. Now, the two previous commands, rejoice always, had to do with uh, uh, time, you know, no matter what's going on. Praying had more to do with place, no matter where you are. This one has to do with whatever, no matter what circumstance you may be in. 
Now, just like the previous command on prayer, we need to make sure what this does not mean. Please hear me when I say this. God does not say to give thanks for all things. Has your marriage broken up? Has sin brought a divide in your relationships? Has sickness robbed you of your health or a loved one? Has sin separated you from your creator, your redeemer? Has suffering become so intense you've considered death as the better alternative? Has selfishness raped the innocence of a loved one? Has it brought the slaughter of little ones in our schools? God doesn't command us to give thanks for those things. The command says to give thanks in the midst of those things. Big difference. I don't thank God for sin, but I can thank God in the midst of sin. He wants us to express emotions of rage and sadness and frustration, but to do so without sin. Now, how do you do that? How do you, how do you give thanks in everything when the things that are going on are breaking your heart and breaking the lives of others and even bringing our nation to the point of collapse? How do we give thanks in all things? Well, here's the answer. We've got to ask the question. Say it with me. Yes, but how? Okay, how do we do this? Well, I don't have two easy steps. I don't have two easy steps, but I do have two rock-solid truths that you can remember and rest on that will lead you to a place where you can truly and sincerely say, I give thanks in all things, even this. And here's truth number one. Remember who holds you in his hand and is working all things together for good. Remember who holds you in his hand and is working all things together for good. It brings you to Romans 8, 28. For we know that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. You claim that. Now listen, that's not the first thing you want to hear when you're in suffering. That's okay. God will work it out. That's not the first thing you should say to someone who's suffering. But I will tell you this. It's the thing that we must eventually get to in our suffering if we are to give thanks in it. There's got to be a reason to give thanks. And the reason is God is sovereign over this. And you go on down through Romans 8, and I can't take you through it. Read that chapter. There's nothing that can happen this next year that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. If I know God loves me, then I can make it through anything. It won't be easy. It'll hurt. I'll wish it was otherwise, but I can make it through it if I know that the love of God that is in Christ Jesus holds me firm. So first you've got to remember that truth. It comes from being in the Word. Number two, rest. Remember and then rest in the glorious and gracious reality that God's majestic, mysterious, and merciful ways are greater than ours. I spent time on that sentence because I want you to get three words. Majesty, mystery, and mercy. You know why I can give thanks in all things? Because God's sovereign majesty is greater than anything I'm going through. And whatever I'm going through has passed through His hands. He may not have caused it, but he's in control of it. Nothing's out of God's control. You say, but if he's so great and this is so bad, now you're into the second word, mystery. Uh, That's a mystery. It's a mystery. That God is all sovereign, all controlling, all loving, and yet this is a fallen world, but here's what I want you to know. The mystery is why would God come down and join us in this suffering? See, his son went through it all. See, God doesn't separate himself from our suffering. And then the third word is his mercy. When we really get a picture of who God is and who we are, we're like, why does he even let me breathe? It's all mercy. It's all mercy. So I want you to remember these things, rest in these things, and then give thanks in them. Give thanks in all things. Let me close with this. No matter what happens in 2013 and beyond, verse 18 ends with these words. For this is 
the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And that phrase can be, can be applied in two ways, and I want to apply them in both ways. The first is this. If you're a Christ follower this morning, this is God's will for you who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ Jesus, this is God's will for you. So Christ followers, step up this morning. Let's commit. Join me no matter what happens this year. We're going to always pray. We're going to always rejoice. We're going to constantly pray. And in all things, we're going to give thanks because this is God's will for everyone who is in Christ Jesus. But not everyone here may be saved. Not everyone may be in Christ. But here's what I want to tell you, that this is God's will in Christ. What that means is you can get the power, you can have the desire to do this, but you have to be in Christ. This can only happen if you are in Christ Jesus this morning. You say, how can I get in? Because I want joy in spite of my circumstances. I want to have a divine smartphone plan, data plan, where I can pray in the midst of anything and know I connect with the, the creator of the universe. How can I be thankful even when things aren't going well? Well, you've got to admit to Jesus, I can't do this apart myself. My sins have separated me from you. And so I'm going to give you, Jesus, my sins. And Jesus, I'm going to receive from you the free gift of your perfect, righteous life. And I'm going to receive from you resurrection power to overcome my habits and overcome my grumpiness and overcome my lack of gratitude. And Lord, I'm going to receive it as a free gift by faith, claiming that you are the true Son of God who came to give me this kind of life and power. And you can do that right now. Right now, just tell him, I I give you all that I am, the mess that I am, and I take all that you are. I believe you are who you are, and I want this kind of power today. I want to be in Christ today. He can do that by faith in him today. And then we can together march into the new year, no matter what, always rejoicing, always praying, and always giving thanks in all things. Let's pray. With your heads bowed, and this is the time where we respond to what we've heard. And I would challenge you could, you, could you join me in prayer this morning? As a Christ follower, follower, would you commit to these three commands and come to God and receive from Him the power to do that? And if you're an unbeliever, if you, if, if, if you haven't ever crossed the line into a new life in Christ, I'd love to talk to you during this response time after the service. It doesn't matter, but you can do it right now. Just give God your sins in the name of Jesus. Receive from Jesus who he is and commit, Lord, I'm going to follow you no matter what in this coming year and for the rest of my life. Father, I pray that you would work in our hearts. You would work in our minds, and you would change us today. In Jesus' name, as they sing, pray to God about these three things.